You're listening to Were You Still Talking? They pump out your blood and they pump in a, a new batch of blood and all of it is the blood of children. All the big stars are going to be on TV now. I mean, it's just the way it's going. Your role, I think, will be played by Brad Pitt. What'd you wear? Uh, I wore my loincloth wrapped around my feet. Are you going by John today? And that's absolutely true. You feel it in every cell in your body. Yeah, you can, you can bend the truth and bend the visualizations no matter what your political affiliation. You could have an alpaca. My a, a girlfriend's daughter recently got married and they had llamas or alpacas at the wedding. A recording room. They recorded uh, a couple songs in the kitchen of Rumbo. So, wait, you, you, you microdosed before this, right? What? Hey, welcome back. This is Joel Albrecht again. And as you heard in the intro, you are listening to Were You Still Talking? Today on the show, another amazing guest, uh, blowing my mind. This is Gordon Firemark. He has practiced media and entertainment law since 1992. He's often referred to as the podcast lawyer, trademark, and is himself a producer and host of Entertainment Law Update Podcast, which is really awesome. I've caught a couple episodes on YouTube. Extremely helpful if you're a podcaster or if you just are curious about entertainment law because it's pretty fascinating. Uh, he also does the More Better Faster Podcast, which offers insights and advice to creative professionals and businesses who want to achieve more, better, faster. Makes sense. Gordon's the author of the podcast blog and New Media Producers Legal Survivor Guide and creator of several online courses for creatives, a lot of which is available for free on his website, which I'm sure we'll mention a few times in the podcast and will be in the show notes. Thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm great. And in my spare time, I practice law. And you practice law. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for having me, Joel. I'm really glad to be here. And the more important part, not only do you practice law, but you learned law from University of Oregon. Yes. Oh, I, no, my undergrad was Oh, of undergrad. What am I, I thinking? I learned radio, TV, and film production at Oregon, and then uh, uh, the law came later. <laughs> oh, so. law came later. Okay. So uh, that was kind of one of my first questions. Well, the first one is... Um, did you did you shave your head before or after the Joe Rogan podcast? Were you, you, were you? I started shaving my head in 1997. Oh wow! So Joe Rogan was still doing news radio or something back in those days, and he had a fringe of hair around his his head. But uh, no, I decided I was I was bald on top and and almost not mullet exactly, but wearing it pretty long in the back, playing around in the entertainment industry, and I realized I looked much older than I was. And now I'm as old now as I looked then. So, <laughs> but now you don't look that old. I, no, I, think, <laughs> I think it's a more a more virile look. Let's put it that. My wife doesn't agree, but <laughs> well, it's definitely the style these days. And you you, yeah. you look a lot younger than I thought you were. And my other thing, which always amazes me, because I think it's a really hard area. What drew? Well, you were in the entertainment business. What drew you into doing entertainment law? Well. Uh, that's an interesting story. You know, I, I got interested in entertainment, theater business, and stuff like that. Always behind the scenes stuff. Uh, when I was very young, five, five years old, kindergarten, got exposed to the theater at school with the K through 12 and the high school kids doing their musicals, and that turned me on. I got interested in doing sound and lights and all that kind of stuff. Did that all through uh, through high school and into college, at Oregon, 
started as a theater major. That was a performance program, and I was never wanting to be on stage. So I shifted over to journalism, and then from there, that wasn't quite right for me either, so I went into radio, TV, and film. And in my senior year there, I had sort of wrapped up my major requirements, and I was taking some graduate-level classes, government regulation of the media, media policy and management, you know, courses like that, really exciting stuff. And uh, the professor pointed out that I was at the top of that class among all these grad students, and I seemed to have an aptitude for regulatory and legal and understanding the concepts, and said, you should think about going to law school. I was in the middle of applying for film school, uh, graduate school, and I sort of laughed it off. But what the heck, I'll take the test and I'll, I'll send in a few applications. And I didn't get into film school, but I did get into law school. Oh, uh, that's great. Still, <laughs> yeah, still decided um, I was going to take some time off and work in the industry. Came back to L.A. and this was 1988. Mm -hmm. Well, I got a job working in in uh, cable television sports production, really wanted to be in the movie and television industries in the entertainment side. And just as I was sort of ready to make a move, uh, you may remember the, the Writers Guild of America went on strike. It was a big strike in late 88. And it was scheduled to last, you know, everybody was ex expecting it to be a six month to a year long strike, and it was. So I thought, well, I'll, uh, I'll use this opportunity to go to law school and, and uh, hedge my bets a little bit and find a way to make a a bigger living, a better living or something. Not really thinking strategically about it, but if you're going to do entertainment law, when the unions go on strike, uh, you don't have any work to do and you go on vacation. So that's been my career for about 30 years now. And, uh, uh, you know, fortunately, I, yeah, I found an aptitude for it and I enjoy it. And I love helping creative people to uh, sort of understand the business side of things as well and make the most of it for their careers. Yeah, and it's always seemed to be something that's, I don't know, maybe more difficult or just le less seems, I don't know what it is. It seems that creatives often have a hard time with the business end. Um, I know I worked at, as a clerk at a law office for a long time, so everyone, it was a nonprofit law office, which is even more bizarre. Everyone has a hard time with getting it's, their head around legal ideas, you know, and, and what they need to do legally. Yeah, it's really that sort of ref left brain, right brain kind of thing. And, you know, creative people are are interested in the creative and, and the the um, more in the moment excitement of things, I suppose you could say. And, and we lawyers to tend to be able to take that longer, sort of more linear view and, a, and an approach to things that, you know, ticks all the boxes. Maybe maybe it's boring and mundane of us, but it's necessary part of things. And uh, I think what gives me my uniqueness or you know my my uh well my the cachet in my industry is that i i, I bridge the gap I'm, I'm really a good translator between the two sides of that industry oh right that makes sense because yeah. you started out yeah in the I mean, in the in the trenches as it were <laughs> and i'll tell you most of us that practice entertainment law are i won't say frustrated but you know came from being musicians or artists or filmmakers or writers or whatever and many still do some of that on the side but we uh you know cultivate both sides of the brain so. right right and um did it have anything to do with wanting to make a living uh, I think that was more about my parents fears about okay. me making a living than about my own uh-huh yeah well that's good that's good. So something, uh, the main video I watched 
was about, and this is something that I've really been falling down about. Those those are my wrong notes. Uh, about getting, um, this is for any podcasters listening or anyone who's just interested in the back end of podcasting, getting a release for yeah. for people on a podcast. I think that seems to be something that is very misunderstood, uh, even by, well, it wasn't misunderstood by me. I was maybe ignoring it a little bit. Uh, I was getting releases more when people were coming in the studio, and then when, you know, when this thing happened, it uh, everything changed, and I have not kept up like I should. So, I mean, just number one, how important is it to have a release? Well, this is really guest. my crusade, Joel. You know, I, I've mm -hmm. been advocating for the use of a release for everybody who has a guest on their show. It's not just podcasters. It's, you know, for live streams and for um, any kind of program or content that you create where you have other people coming and helping you in any way. Really, you should have something on paper that says that you own what they help you create and that you have the right to do it and they're consenting to being recorded and, and filmed or whatever and that they're not expecting compensation and aren't going to come after you later on because you edited it in a way that makes them look goofy or whatever, although sometimes that's <laughs> inevitable. Uh, so, <laughs> in fact, you know, and, and the trick of it is, it's possible to do this orally, you know. Um, I'll say right now, Joel, you hereby have my consent to record my voice and permission to use this recording in any and all media now known and hereafter devised in perpetuity without any obligation to compensate me or to give me a right to you know pre-publication review or anything like that now if you can remember all of those things to ask every single time fantastic do it but i think that getting it in writing is the safest way to make sure you tick all the boxes Get that, a lawyer ticking boxes <laughs> that so. is uh that's really interesting because I've been getting a simple release. Not I didn't use all those words, but this is what this was one of my questions. Could I just read the release if I haven't had time to send it to him? I want to go live in two minutes. I can just yeah. read the release on the recording that we're doing, and and that also works. Yeah, if you've got a proper script for that read, then I think that works. Uh, and in fact, uh, I offer a free podcast guest release to people for for a download. And in the packet that you get when you download is the script for uh, an oral release as well although i think it's better it's you know a little more formal a little more solemn of an act to sign something on paper or or even just to click the box on a digital signature kind of thing but uh anything is better than nothing so yeah i, I think the aura works right right and yeah i mean it seems like i you said in your video you it's really better to get a physical signed copy which i'm sure it is but sometimes with the time constraints you know from booking to getting someone on yeah. uh, especially with today's mail you know yeah. <laughs> actually right now it's tough to get mail that fast so um the online yeah. signature is still still oh, yeah, viable, digital right? signatures are great in fact uh, as you may have noticed when you booked me for this appointment uh, i have a form that's built into the the, the calendar booking page. We had a little glitch with our calendar booking, but there is oh, a form yes. and a checkbox. And so even that is a manifestation of the intent to be bound by the terms of the thing that you've just read. So uh, digital signatures are a valid thing. And, um, you know, as I said, anything is better than nothing. Wet ink on a piece of paper, I think, is something we will see the end of before too long. I, we're in a digital age now. so um, It's interesting you say that because the last, I don't know, three or four years I was working as a clerk, almost all signatures from from any side of it were done with uh, online online uh, 
There are a few Sites. industries that are still sort of frightened about it. The medical mm -hmm. industry is medical. They're still using fax machines. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> and they're still taking your temperature and going, you're fine. Yeah, right. You're fine. <laughs> <clears throat> but, um, uh, yeah, a few other, you know, the real estate industry, they still like to have a formal closing ceremony mm -hmm. almost when they when they make a sale of a, it, of a property. Right. And right. I think some of that is partly just theater. <laughs> that that makes sense. Well, it's also they give you a book. Uh, yeah. You know, they give you a book and say you should read this, and mm -hmm. it, it's like, oh. And I, every time I've said, yeah, I should read it. Uh, I haven't yet, but <laughs> yeah, the only time anybody reads those things is when they're upset about something and looking for soup. <laughs> right, and then it's it's a little too late. It's a little like, oops, oops. Well, I yeah, I could actually talk about releases all day long. It, it's really interesting to me. The other thing that that I find uh, confusing, really confusing, is, um, and th there's so much online stuff now, everyone's got a YouTube channel, and so wearing, uh, wearing logos on your, you, you know, on your video, on your podcast, guilty, um, yeah. how, you know, is, are people going to, like, sue you for that? ask you to take that podcast down i don't want you talking about turtles on with my shirt on you know what what you know, what are the it, rules there what what is the legal the, yeah um two two different questions one is can they and the other is will they on right. the can they side they can if you're using their brand their logo their artwork whatever as a you know seeming to be an endorsement or something like that they can say hey stop it don't do that um, whether they will or not really is going to depend on is there something you're doing in your live stream, on your video, in your film that is disparaging or damaging to the reputation of that brand. So, you know, it's one thing for just someone like myself. I sometimes wear a T-shirt with someone's logo on it or I had, I had a Baby Yoda T-shirt on a few days ago. And oh, yeah. I went nice. live and I got a bunch of compliments about it. And I, mm -hmm. I'm sure Lucasfilm doesn't care about this entertainment lawyer talking about boring legal stuff to his, you know, 17 followers. <laughs> with the, the thing. But if I had a, a million people watching me as I broke into the Capitol building or uh, let's not get political or or just did something stupid you know, put somebody's life in danger, put somebody's um, reputation in, in question, something like that, then they would say, oh, yeah, that follower of ours is disparaging our brand. We better not allow that kind of thing. And so you've seen a lot of uh, film production in the documentary space and, and also in the entertainment space, you know, sort of blur things out when mm -hmm. that kind of stuff is happening. That's an, mm -hmm. I would say that's an abundance of caution in most instances, and it's usually some lawyer like me watching that film going, you know probably don't want coca-cola feeling like they're somehow endorsing this bad behavior by that idiot on the screen okay that's that that's interesting so that's kind of a you know you're better and yet off. everybody knows it's a coca-cola logo on the shirt right right well it's like i sometimes wear a t-shirt with a little swoosh on it you know yeah. i don't know what brand that is some kind of little swoosh one of those oregon based <laughs> brands of those oregon hey, used to be something to it's do not with that literally thing. anymore Right. Offices but, you know, in Oregon, <laughs> right? They, they, um, yeah. But you know that is also if they're going to put it on a shirt like that, it's one thing when it's the, you know just over the the, the breast mm -hmm. pocket a little bit, a tiny little logo like a polo horse or a an alligator. It's another entirely when it takes up the whole front of the shirt. And in trademark law, we we deal with whether or not it's ornamental versus whether it's being used as a brand identifier. 
But oh, that's really see that was another question. I that was uh, that was what I was leading to. Ah, you know, if you're just yeah, if you're just wearing a shirt with a small logo on it, that I yeah. so that's far less likely to be a problem. Right. You'll you'll be. Is that my phone? It can't be my phone. I don't have any. Oh, sorry. If you're listening to the podcast, it is my phone, but it's ringing out there. Great. Nice. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, but I, I see what's happening. I froze for a second because yeah, it was yeah. ringing on my computer. I did re- I turn that off once. I got to re- put that on my <laughs> checklist. If you oh, have a podcast, you remember to have a, to Yeah, a little bit. Or not. I probably, or I'll not. leave it. Oh, come on. Yeah. I'll leave it in there. <laughs> That's the fun what stuff. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Oh, love it. <laughs> uh, was I still now have to do? I should make a note, though, because it might be glitchy, glitchy, glitchy. Mm. Um, Your audio on this end was coming through nice and clean. Everything's good. So, OK, we're good then. We are good. Now, where was I? I was talking about logos. Oh, yeah. also, I meant to say this at the beginning. I really appreciate the the work you're doing, the videos you're doing, and and you know you do provide some free services on your website. You're you're taking it to Facebook. It's really appreciated by myself, and um, uh, I'm sure by other people, uh, because it's very you know it's very needed. It's it's really good to have someone answering questions and someone available to answer questions you know if need be if you it's it's hard i know it's kind of hard to find someone it can be hard to find someone in your field like i don't know of any in this area well you know there aren't too many actually it's, yeah it's that's one of the things we we congregate in a couple of small enclaves i guess you could say it's one of the things about my podcast actually is um, you know I do a show about entertainment law. We do a deep dive into the cases and news of the of the month. We do a monthly show, and uh, you know people get all uptight about their numbers in the podcasting space. Well, I've only got you know 500 downloads per episode, or even 40 or 50 downloads an episode, and I'm really getting you know depressed that I'm not having a bigger impact and and more people listening. And I, you know uh, I realized a, a few. I don't know, a year or so ago, that our number of downloads compared to the total number of people in the world who practice or care about the field of entertainment law is we we are probably about half of those people are listening to our show every month. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. You know, That's a good uh, way to put it. <laughs> and, and the fact of it is, uh, it's a good audience of, of people that many of whom I know and I, and, I, and I care about. But if you were doing a show about, I don't know, your favorite meatloaf recipes, and you had 30 people show up and listen to you, and every week you do a new recipe, and every week 30 people show up and listen. Think about what it would be like to have a, a, a room full of 30 people listening to you for half an hour every week while you stood on a stage and talked, or an hour or whatever. You know, and if you've got 500, that's a good-sized room full of people listening to what you have to say. You can really have a meaningful impact with a small audience if they're intensely interested in what you're talking about. And that's, I think that's the real promise of podcasting. But just back to what you were saying about my putting myself out there and, and giving away a lot of uh, information and content. You know, it, it is altruistic in a sense because I'm I'm here and I'm on a mission. My intention and goal is to help ten thousand creative podcaster types and other media folks as well uh, in the next few years. And um, one of the ways that I want to help them is by giving them access to knowledge and information. And uh, you know, it, it, so it's altruistic in that sense. I'm I'm happy to share and give knowledge because knowledge is power. 
but also it demonstrates my expertise and my affability, connectability, you know, people know, like, and trust. And so it does drive business uh, in, into, my, into my office. And uh, so it's good for me while it's good for everybody else too. So th thank you for mentioning it and, and for appreciating it. But, um, you know, it, it works for me very nicely. Thank you. <laughs> well, and that's good. And it's also kind of a lesson to other, others that this, I've seen this lesson yeah. repeated many times, but it's a really good way to, to drive business. You know, it's a, it's a great way to get people uh, a yet another way. I mean, I've heard this a lot about podcasting since I started. Yeah. Podcasting has more, the podcasting space... I started about a year ago. It's more than doubled since yeah. I started because something happened right when I started. It, I guess it was me. Probably they saw what I was doing. Right. You know, oh, the ten people. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, okay. It's got and but a big part of this push, and it's true with where I found you as well. Um, the website I found you on. A big part of this is well, if you have a business, you should have a podcast. Uh, me as more of an trying to do it as entertainment informational not so much promote your business although i'm happy to promote your business if you're doing something like you're doing uh it it's kind of wild because in one in, for one it's like if you don't love podcasting you don't need to be in the space right it's it's not it's you know that's not really what podcasting is about but i totally see the other side of it now that people are really feeling pressured to yeah. to jump in there and um you know, and do it because it helps their business. But it goes back to those numbers. You were talking about 500 people being a good number. That's a really good number. I had yeah. Rob Walsh on my program, who's, um, you know, uh, one of the main people at, at the... Um, Libsyn. At Libsyn. And he has his podcast. Every week, if you listen to that, you know he goes down the numbers. And they are one of the biggest podcast aggregators in the business. So their numbers make a lot of sense. If you have a thousand, you're better than half of the podcasts out there, yeah. and that sounds like a very small number. But I started thinking of it like you, like you, in terms of size of room. Thirty people. I've played drums for a long time. If you're in a small club and you have thirty people, it looks like at least there's people out there. If you're in a small club and you have a hundred people, you've got a nice, you know, you pretty much have a packed house. Sure. If you're in a club with five hundred people, you're not in a club anymore. You're in a theater. Yeah. So, you know, or, or a convention center or something. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the way I look at it. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to get to the point where it's like I'm, I'm performing in a theater. And that, yeah. <laughs> that's the first goal. <laughs> right. Yeah, 100 <laughs> people is the number of people who attend a big wedding, you know? Yeah, that's for, a lot of people. Right, right. It's a good so. amount of people. And, he, and people should, uh, you know, if you're getting to, for one, you shouldn't look at your numbers. I'm, although saying that, I always do. Because um, that's how some of us are. Yeah, but if you're doing it, you, you can't. You know, I'm learning as I go, still learning that mm -hmm. if you're doing it for numbers, it's just the wrong reason. You know, just yeah. do it. I'm doing it more and more because it's really, really mm -hmm. fun. I get to meet interesting people, and I get to connect to um, lawyers that I might need in the future. That's yeah. important. <laughs> that's that's you far know, it's more important. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. You know, another thing, uh, just since we're talking about my goal to help people, 10,000 people and so on, mm -hmm. uh, my, my theme or word for the year is impact, having an impact. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, even when you have those 30, you, hey, if you have five people listening to what you say and you make a difference in one person's life, that's impact. It may not be yeah. a giant cascading impact, but you've achieved something. If you talk somebody out of 
taking a, a, a dangerous action or using you know, a drug that they shouldn't use or, or exposing themselves to some kind of a risk or you talk them into taking a risk that turns out great for them, that's impact. And so right. we, we, it's easy to focus on the numbers without fully putting them in context. And for me, I think that context is really what matters. So many of us are, well, if you, if you want to make money doing a podcast, well, first of all, think, think it over a second time because unless you've got millions and millions of downloads making real money, it, it's going to be challenging. I mean, I, I'm here to help people who want to and, and are, are doing so. Uh, but if, you, if that's your main goal with starting a show, I think you're you know, maybe a little misguided. Uh, but what you're saying about everybody, you know, not everybody needs to be in podcasting. The fact is, we all there's there's so many different ways of getting a message out now, so many different excuse me um, uh, social channels, you know. Hey, let, I'm going to be really realistic here. I, I use Instagram a little bit. It's not my jam, and I'm just not that excited about creating content for Instagram. Um, and don't even ask me to go on TikTok, right? No, I'm not staying. <laughs> That's what I haven't touched. For one, I'm not a very good dancer. And but... yet there are marketers out there who say, you have to be on TikTok. You have to have a podcast. You have to do video. You have to be on Instagram. You have to tweet. And the fact of it is, you know, pick a couple things. And the ones that feel right, do them and do them well and attract an audience and have your impact. And don't that... worry about all the other crap. I think that's a. I think that's really good advice. Um, I recently, uh, I guess I was bored. I recently did a conference about um, uh, about influencers, and uh, I'm not really trying to be an influencer. But if you have a podcast, there's going to be some good information in that kind of of yeah. seminar. And this was a seminar from some of the big. I mean, these people are huge. They have millions of followers, mm -hmm. and that's one of the way they did. Um, several of them talked about. Well, I didn't try to do. Instagram and, and Twitter and Facebook and you know I didn't work I didn't do that I said okay the, what I do works here on whatever media platform it was yeah. and they totally said so how does that platform work like how do I make that work for myself and uh, so I, I think that's a really valid point that that I'm, focusing on that platform like for, obviously for Joe Rogan YouTube worked. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, it doesn't hurt that Joe Rogan, you know, as Dave Jackson, one of the podcasting uh, legends, really uh, uh, says, you know, it doesn't hurt that Joe Rogan started his career in stand up comedy in the early 80s. And he built up a following as a television, as a comedian, a comedy writer, an actor. And then he, and then he was a stupid game show host on a stupid TV show. Oh, right. 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 Fear factor, right? Yes. Yeah, well, but then yeah. when you you know when you're on an N an NBC game show every week for 5 years or something like that, you have a big audience. And he was able to leverage that when he said, "Okay, I'm going to go do my thing now." A lot of people said, "Ooh, I'm curious about that. What's that all about?" "Oh, that's really cool." And and you know, he it, it's refreshing his approach to things. Um Right. At the risk of, of refreshing him that's with a the way. brush. That's he a way is, to put it. He's a populist. He says what's on his mind. He says what people are thinking. Yeah. And, um, you know, for good or bad. And, and I think he's a, a yeah, very smart, astute, media savvy person. And so he's made the most of it. But he started with a giant following. And that's the key. Well, it's interesting because in talking to a couple different people, he did not. He actually started 
with a pretty small following that, he, and he and he didn't care. I mean, if you well, look at his, his name, I people knew his name. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yes. He was a known um, celebrity. But it did take years for his podcast to start to go, and once it started to go, he dumped yeah. his his uh, soul into it. You know, once he saw that, oh, this is a yeah. thing, then he he really put some some energy into it so that but people should know it did not start out with a million downloads no but the point is he it's, also he yeah. focused on the thing i mean he's doing yes. Yes, it's a downloadable podcast yeah. but he's doing it on youtube so people can see what's going on he picked two media and went for it one of the the teachers that i uh, have studied with in the internet business arena uh talks about if you're stranded on a desert island and you have to get back to the mainland build one bridge and focus your energy on building one bridge if you try to build seven of them you're not going to get there anytime soon build one when you get there then build the other one on the way back you know and uh i love that analogy that that makes a lot of sense yeah and it really makes a lot better of yet sense. build one get over there and buy a speedboat <laughs> yeah exactly get something easier uh, I would never have thought of that. Yeah, no, no one builds three life rafts. They they just build one. Yeah, yeah. That's a very very good analogy. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I'm going to go to my notes because I had some other. Yeah, should we very, talk about the law? Very important. <laughs> yeah, we could. I mean, see, this is what I. Uh, it's it's a, it's a oh, conversation. This is what I love. I love talking about whatever all this philosophy and, yeah. and well, theory and yeah. And isn't good. that law? Oh, that's another one of my things that I like to always point out. Well. I'll ask you the. I'll form it in a question. <laughs> sure. The law is um, uh, the, um, a lot of people these days are quoting the Constitution, you know, or they think they are. Mm -hmm. They aren't necessarily, um, and they uh, they will talk about a law and and like that's it. Yeah. This is the law, mm -hmm. but the law really doesn't work that way, does it? As a lawyer, there's <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, there are some components of law that are relatively fixed and stable and not changing. I mean, you know, you talk about, um, f you know, the, the concept of freedom, though. You know, we, we say we have freedom of speech. Well, mm -hmm. that's an amorphous concept, and it, uh, it varies depending on what the content of that speech is. It's not supposed to all the time, but, you know, you're free to say what's on your mind, but if it's false and it hurts somebody's reputation, they can sue you. If it's, if it's um, inciting violence, again, I'm getting political, and I... I the 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 climate right now is just leading me there. Oh, I but, thought you were being completely obscure. I didn't know that was. Is this political? <laughs> but you know, there there are limits to our freedoms, and we as a society have decided and agreed that there are going to be some boundaries. If not, why have a constitution at all? Just hey, anything goes. Do what you want. Kill who you want. You know, right? Steal people's stuff, right. whatever it is. Covet their covet my neighbor's wife if you feel like it. Um, talk about the old law right <laughs> <laughs> thou shalt not <laughs> yeah i was referring more to the how things how it can be interpreted i mean the other that's yeah. the, what you're talking about is i think people completely misunderstand even network media mm -hmm. had a lot more free speech 20 years ago than they have now well, because now they're owned by corporations that want to you know, point them in a certain direction. So, whatever network it is, I they they have less free speech than they did 20 years ago. 50 years ago, um, it was very difficult to say certain things on television. 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. things that we say on TV now, you could not say or it wouldn't make make air. And that's the difference with media. You know, like anyone, well, any Yahoo could have a podcast, right? Yeah, and say whatever he television wants. 50 years ago was, you know, three major companies and mm-hmm. there were five stations max in any given city. And so you were using a scarce public resource, the airwaves, to make television. So the government was justified in regulating it. And they still do regulate those airwave-based television stations. But there are so many other ways to get your message out and across now. And and we don't need to regulate that because, you know, the public square got a lot bigger. And it was, you know, anybody who wants to can put a soapbox up and start shouting their message. You may not always get anybody to listen. But again, there's your 30 people in the room, right? <laughs> right. I guess where it gets tricky, and it's good to have a lawyer on the t- to ask this, uh, when you're, uh, if you go on network TV and you you talk disparagingly about, um, you know, uh, a famous actor or something, that person can sue you. Yeah. Whereas going on uh, YouTube and doing that, it seems to be much more difficult for they the person to take action. They, they still can. Okay. They, they can still sue you who said it. What right. they can't do is sue YouTube. Okay. YouTube is just so that's, the intermediary. That's a big difference. That's what, yeah, that's what that Section 230 that people are talking about a lot in the media these days, mm-hmm. that is actually the, the provision in the Communications Decency Act of 1990, I want to say. It's pretty old. Or 1999, maybe. Anyway, the, the, the principle is, we want to keep companies like YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Parler and all the others um, uh, immune from these lawsuits so they can flourish and thrive and create that bigger town square environment where everybody has a voice and everybody can speak. And so we will still allow a plaintiff to go after someone for the, uh, the words they themselves utter, but we're not going to hold the intermediary channel, the ones that, you know, the people who put out the soapbox uh, responsible for that, and another analog to that is the the um, uh, Digital Millennium Copyright Act creates a carve out for companies like YouTube and Twitter and Facebook when they have user generated content that is infringing of somebody else's copyright. As long as they have a policy of taking it down upon demand, and then making you know letting the two parties fight it out, they themselves won't be liable for the infringement. Again, it allows those companies to grow and prosper. Now, all that started in the early 2000s when the Internet was a relatively new thing. Al Gore had just invented it, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, for those younger listeners, Al Gore didn't invent the Internet. He just said that he did. (laughs) And and technically, it had been around 50 years when he said that. But, you know. Uh, but anyway, so, so the idea was here was this new thing and we want it to grow. We think it's a good thing. It's it's open communication. It's good for free speech as long as we allow it to really be free and, and make sure these companies don't get sued out of existence over the first time they say something, someone says something bad about someone. Right, right. And I mean, just to kind of wrap this up, put a bow on it. These are all, we keep saying these companies, these companies, these companies. Now that is the big difference. I mean, that's the big gotcha. Yeah. It's a company, if they decide they don't want your show on the air, it's entirely up to them and no yeah. one else, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. Companies have rights of free speech just like other human natural-born citizens Thanks, Ronald have. Reagan. 
Yes, I understand. Uh, well, you know what? It's actually the Supreme Court uh, uh-huh. made the ruling in the Citizens United case, so it's a little more recent than Reagan. But that's the, we think of it as a money and politics case. But what it really says is that companies spending their money is an act of speech. And Interesting. They are free. We can't limit their right to spend their money on political messaging if they want to. Right, right. But that, okay. Other it still started somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's definitely the Reagan era deregulation yeah. uh, that led in that direction. But, you know, it's now back to that concept of the law, almost etched in stone because the Supreme Court said it. Because it, yeah. And that's what's, that, that's what's interesting is that they, if it goes that far, that's how the law is going to get decided. They're going to make a decision uh, based on, you know, partly based on their opinion of the law, right? Well, and their political ideology or at least social mm -hmm. ideology and those kinds of things. And, you know, the good news is nothing they say really is etched in stone. After all, separate but equal was a principle established by by the Supreme Court in the, I want to say the 1920s or so, the 30s, until the 50s when Brown versus Board of Education came along and said, not so much. <laughs> so uh, it does change. It does evolve. And, and um, you know, we as a society grow as a consequence. We sure hope we, we sure hope. Um, we try. We try. The growth That's isn't, the dream anyway. That is the dream. That's the true American dream. <laughs> there was... <laughs> Oh, uh-oh, I lost my notes. One moment here. Um, oh, yes, this is a good one. Uh, do you have, like, a, I don't know, maybe a, f- a favorite or teachable moment about... Uh, I'll, I'll stick to podcasts, because I know you do a lot of other kind of law, which I'm also going to ask you about. But is there, a, like, a favorite time or, or situation in podcasting that you were involved with that is, you know, important for people to maybe think about? A favorite moment or time? I, you know, I, that, that's a really tough question, Joel. I'll say case then. <laughs> well, let, me, let me narrow it down. Uh, a case. Cases. You know, what's interesting is there aren't that many big cases in the podcasting space. The mm-hmm. the, the patent case by, oh, I can't remember the name of the company now, that claimed they invented podcasting uh, and patented the technology and went after Apple and a bunch of bigger podcasters. Um the moment that that was overruled and and determined that no they, their their patent was invalid that's a big important moment in podcasting but it you know did it ever have a real impact on the average podcaster i, I would say probably not um i think that the the real beautiful moment in podcasting is is the actual invention of the of the rss feed and the the ability to do it uh, it took a while for the technology to get inexpensive enough for just anybody to you know, spend a few hundred bucks on a microphone and have, and, and the bandwidth to, to make it work. Um, and, you know, the more recent, one of the big cases was a couple of years ago now, but the, the show was called S-Town. And it was about... Oh, a, yeah, love it. Uh, yeah. So that My was... My first his, podcast. Oh, is that right? The one, first, okay. first one I listened to, and that, you know, that, came, that hooked me. <laughs> so, you know, the, the backstory of that is that uh, the, the fellow who was sort of the subject of the show had invited the producers to do a story about something completely different and they found him to be much more interesting than the story he was pitching them and they asked him you know we'd like to do a show about you and they didn't get a release from him they didn't get anything signed they didn't do any 
any paperwork, but they made the show. And in the course, during the time they were making the show, he actually committed suicide. And his estate came along and claimed that they were violating his right of privacy and right of publicity by making this podcast about about him and featuring his voice and story and so on. And um, that's a, what we call the right of publicity in uh, in the legal field. And uh, they ended up finally settling about a year ago, I think. But uh, wow, that's yeah. I mean, this of course the most surprising thing to me about that story is that that was NPR. This is not a just, you know these are not yeah. small. Well, podcasters they, they, out there they were, yeah they were actually people who had worked at npr who still did work at npr but it was separate from the network it, just to be really oh i clear. didn't realize that okay. national public radio was not the producer of that show oh i thought i always um, thought they were the producer but they of that all show. worked okay. on the on the show uh, ira glass's show um i'm blanking on the this title. american life this american life this american so that's life. where they all trained and and this, they were the same many of the same people who worked on serial which was a giant success. It really, I think that was the springboard for podcasting as a, as a medium for many audience members. But yeah, so here were these trained journalists in the radio field coming to this different medium. And I, I want to emphasize, it is a different medium than radio. Lots of folks come out of the broadcasting world saying, I was a, a radio host for 20 or 30 years and I never once got, needed a release from one of my guests. And guess what? That's right, it's radio. You you open your mic and you talk and you say it and you get your guest and you have the conversation and you turn it off and four hours later it's gone the show right, is no longer right. in it's ephemeral is the term mm -hmm. and so the harm that can come from that is how many people were actually listening at the moment you said those things how many people had a recording going you know yeah there's an air check recording or something like that but most of the time it never gets replayed or if it does it's once in a blue moon podcast is a an on-demand evergreen medium and so the rules are a little different. We have to be careful. In the music arena, it's also very different. Radio stations pay a license to an organization called ASCAP, and another one to BMI, and another one to CSAC and GMR here in the US, and in other countries it's different organizations, but the same principle, that gets them a blanket license to play any music they want on their air. And they, they're supposed to keep records and track what songs are played and so on, but that's it. If you're podcasting, it's not a live performance of the music, it's a recording, so you're making a copy of the song and you're incorporating it into a larger program, so you're making a derivative work and you're distributing it to people, they're downloading it as well as just listening ephemerally. So it's much more than merely what you, what you get in broadcast radio. And those are fundamental parts of copyright law, the right to make, distribute, perform works of copyright so, and make derivative works. So. That's very different. That's, that's a really that's an interesting point because I do you see a lot of people questioning why their YouTube video is taken down. I mean, you know, I only use <laughs> right. the song for three minutes or what whatever they whatever it is. And it's yeah. like I'm a musician, so I understand. It's like mm -hmm. you, if you didn't have permission to use a song, it makes no difference. And that's because of David Bowie and a couple of those people. They they actually went to court on on whether or not you can use any part of their song and i'm pretty sure they won because well, now you youtube itself takes down a lot of um it, it seems can people go after youtube for that because it seems like they're policing it a lot more well so the reason yes the, the the reason that they are policing it is uh that it's in their best interest to do so legally speaking okay. i don't think they have to 
unless they have sort of what, what we call red flag knowledge that there's infringement going on. So the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, that one, that DMCA I was talking about, the takedown process says that if they have a mechanism in place for a, a, a copyright owner to say, hey, someone's using my stuff on your site, they have to take it down in a prompt manner and then give the other, the posting party an opportunity to argue, well, it should stay up. And then they have to put it back up, but then the fight is between the owner and the infringer. If they don't take it down or if they don't have a good policy in place or they don't have a way of identifying repeat infringers, uh, then they can be exposed. Their safe harbor is taken away. And so uh, YouTube was the defendant in a very long-lasting lawsuit uh, brought by Viacom and a few other plaintiffs. And uh, I think it went on about eight or nine years. And, you know, wow. many, many, many millions of dollars in legal fees alone. And uh, uh, that was sort of the reason that they developed their content ID system so that they would be able to identify those repeat infringers and the, the, hot, the hot ones that are, you know, obviously infringing. Uh, but do they have a legal obligation? There's some question in my mind about whether they would still have the safe harbor or not if they uh, if they didn't implement those technologies. But part of it is also that the music industry has agreed, I think it may be settlement also now that I think about it, the music industry has agreed, hey, if your system develops, identifies a song, uh, you know, that's a way we can monetize. You can pay us for the use of that music uh, if that's a, a, a sponsored, if there's ads running against that video, hey, take the money and give us a piece of it. And so right, that's right. Therefore, now too is to let's let's identify the opportunity to make a little money. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That makes a whole lot of sense. Um, the other thing, yeah, podcast, uh, good about. Oh, the other thing I wanted to touch on, um, which I think is, f uh, which I questioned from the very beginning, uh, people doing theater performances on Zoom. Um, there is some question about uh, whether or not they mean to pay royalties? I mean, uh, is there a question, or is it just that people are forgetting? <laughs> I, I would use the word ignoring. Ignoring, okay. <laughs> They're not okay. forgetting. They, they, now, many of them may not have realized it. I mean, you know, let's face it, a lot of amateur theater companies start up and say, oh, we're going to do a production of The Music Man. Let's do it, you know, and, and they never think to ask, oh, where do we get the rights to use The Music Man and to, to do this? Um, and it's probably a bigger problem in the straight play arena where you can get a copy of the text of a play pretty easily um, if you don't need the sheet music and and all the other materials that you normally would rent from the rights holders right mm -hmm. so so i don't think there's ever been a question that a, a stage a play or a musical is a work that's protected by copyright law and I think what's really the issue is people not thinking about the fact that when you do a performance on Zoom or anywhere else, what you're doing is making a use of that copyright that belongs to the right, belongs to the owner of the copyright. And you're supposed to get a license. You're supposed to pay. Uh, now, many of these Zoom calls, you know, don't have but, again, 10, 20, 30 listeners. So who, you know, who really cares? But some of them get pretty big or they get recorded and then they're published on YouTube or some other place. And now you've got a real problem because you've made an unauthorized performance and recording of that copyrighted player musical. And, uh, you know, people are getting better about it. And, and there's some amazing creative work happening in there. And I think the owners of copyrights are being pretty 
understanding and even forward-looking about how to license these things, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you do have to go ask and make a deal. Yeah, it's it's always curious to me because, it, you know, any video, as we all know, any video could go viral. So you might have been thinking you were doing something for, for 10 people and suddenly it's a million people right. overnight for some unexplained reason, even without a cat in the video. But usually... <laughs> And uh, the other thing that's always confused me, I've always been a little confused about this, is parody. Um, They probably paid for the rights, but recently there was a YouTube remake of The Princess Bride. And it had, you know, name actors. Obviously, millions of people were going to see it. I assume they paid for it. But could that also be... I mean, they were just doing it at home you know, with their own cameras and editing it together. <laughs> it was really brilliant. But could that also be considered parody? And is, does parody have different, uh, different obligations for getting yeah. rights? So uh, what I understand about that particular production is that it, is, it was the same people from the original production that were behind the making of this uh, pandemic version, we'll call it, of, of The Princess Bride. Which I haven't seen. I, I really should. I, I mean, brilliant. To. Um, and and Rob Reiner, you know, the director of the film, um, mm-hmm. was involved in the making. Of oh, okay. I didn't realize because it was to see the whole thing was a fundraiser. You can see clips of it yeah. online, but to see the whole thing yeah. was a fundraiser. So that makes sense. But to were it not authorized by those people, would it be a parody? I, that's a hard question. So the, I, to explain parody, we have to go backwards a little bit and talk about the First Amendment and how mm-hmm. it conflicts with copyright law. Copyright law is a law that says you can't make copies of certain things. Well, copying things is speech, isn't it? And free speech says you can't, Congress can't make a law that abridges your free speech rights. So Congress made a law called the copyright law, which is oh. also required under the copyright uh, under the co- Constitution. Copyright is actually contemplated in the Constitution, talks about preserving for right the rights of authors and inventors. Oh wow! Yeah. Huh. Um, for those who are interested, it's Article One, Section Eight, Clause Three of the Constitution. Talk about a geeky thing to know off the top of your head. And yeah, okay. that's pretty amazing. Do you have a Do you have a uh, photographic memory? Or no, I just teach you it. Just so study I have to a lot. Oh, you a teach times okay. a semester. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, so so that idea is there's this conflict. So over the course of a century of jurisprudence, the uh, the courts recognized this conflict and started looking at how do you balance these two things out. And so they created a, a very complicated four-factor balancing test. You have to go through this whole analysis to decide, is it infringing or is it fair use? One of the shortcut approaches to finding that it's fair use is, and it's called the fair use defense, um, is this idea of parity. And by the way, in 1976, the Congress actually adopted that case law establishing that four-factor test and made it a part of the copyright statute. So so now it's statutory law. The, the parity angle basically does a shortcut to a finding of fair use if it's genuinely a parity. And I think The Princess Bride is an interesting question because the movie itself, the original movie itself, is sort of a parody. It's satire, right? Oh, right. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I guess it is, isn't it? And so this remake, I don't think the, this this Zoom remake really is 
transformational. It doesn't turn it into something it wasn't. It doesn't comment on or criticize or hold up to public shame or or light of any kind. Right, the original, no. Other than to say, hey, look, we're celebrating this thing. So it's homage yeah. more than parody. Um, but a, a, a true parody is something that's making fun of the original thing. Yeah, right, they're so definitely not. Yeah, it's more of a homage to it. Yeah. I was, you know, I had heard there was going to be a remake. Uh, they were yeah. putting out rumors before COVID, and mm -hmm. maybe they were thinking of remaking it. If they were, shame yeah. on you, don't you dare. But they, uh, you know, they <laughs> they were thinking it. I think it was in the works. And yeah. um, when this happened, you know, what they did is just, it's word for word. Uh, the costumes are all made by yeah. the, the participants, and mm -hmm. uh, the sets are all... In the most part, their backyard, and then someone cuts cut it together, and uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. a lot of fun. It's really bizarre. And there's a lot of that going on, and I think that is really a testament to the creative spirit and and the the refusal of the creative energy of people to be subdued even by a pandemic. Is we're going to do our work. We're going to we have to as artists create stuff, and. In a sense, you know, it is a commentary on the pandemic and a commentary on the Zoom as a technology and a medium. But is it really a parody? Probably not in that sense. But, the, you know, the, the seminal copyright law case that the Supreme Court decided was when Two Live Crew did their version of Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman. I don't know oh, if you've right. heard it, but it's, yes. a, it's a fairly coarse yep. rendition of the Pretty Woman concept. <laughs> and um, the Orbison folks sued and the supreme court said nope that's fair use so oh interesting yeah, that's a parody and it's fair that. use because so, it was oh they so they wow they were the Paul song was making as much fun of the sort of sweet vanilla flavor of the roy orbison song uh-huh by mm -hmm. holding it up to ridicule right right so that oh so that works but, wow. but one important thing about parody is that if you're if you're making fun of something other than the original work, it's not a parody. It's something else. It may still be fair use, but it's you don't get to take the shortcut. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. I get, it gets complicated. It oh, is. It's complicated. That's why it's good to, to hire a lawyer if you run into any of these problems in real life. I like the um, sound of that. So <laughs> So I've probably taken enough of your time. I'm going to uh, wrap this up um, real quick before I wrap it up, because someone asked me recently about microphones. What is that microphone you're using? And, and let, we, we did this off the air, but I'll just do it uh, for anyone still listening. Uh, you are using the new Shure... MV7. MV7, which is the, uh, probably one of the nicer... USB and XLR mics, right? Yeah, you know, it is it is a I would call it the little brother to the mic you're using, which is the Shure SM7B, mm -hmm. which is the longtime classic radio microphone. And um Shure saw the writing on the wall with podcast. I think they came to the game a little late actually with podcasting and True. uh and they decided they needed to make something that works both with the traditional studio equipment like mixers and amplifiers and things but also that could plug directly in via USB. And they've, I think they hit it out of the park with this one. It sounds good, looks good, and the software backend for it uh, gives it a lot of flexibility as well. So if you're starting out in podcasting and you've got more than the $100 budget to spend on a microphone, spend the two and a half, two, $250 for, uh, for the, MC, the MV7. It's fantastic. 
It's a great mic. Uh, it's funny they did come late to the party, but I think it, uh, I think they're making up to, up for it because yeah, yeah. uh, you know it looks like they're they're getting those out into the world pretty easily. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so this has been. Were you still talking? This is Joel Albrecht, and on my show today, I've had Gordon Firemark. I am pronouncing that right. Yes, yes, indeed. it's just like it says. The podcast lawyer, which if you're watching the video, you might have noticed it's right at his <laughs> mic stand. Really good marketing. You can also go to his website. There's all kinds of really good uh, media there that he's going to be doing some. You're going to be doing free online courses, right? There's, yeah. I signed up for an online course, so and yeah. so that's coming up. Is that correct? Yeah, we've got one that's sort of in the beta stage of development, and, mm -hmm. and some folks have already enrolled, and we're, we're building it out as we go. And uh, it's called Easy Legal for Podcasters, and it'll be reopening to a wider audience of the public podcasting community in uh, early March. Early March. Nice. Um, and this is at, all of this will be in the show notes, but gordonfiremark.com. Is there another? That's no. the place to go. All right. GordonFireMark.com. Fantastic. Thank you again for coming on the show. This has been fun. I actually am fascinated by law. I don't know if everyone is, but I, I find it really fascinating. And entertainment law is, uh, I mean, I've read whole books on, I forgot the name of the book. There was one that was kind of a must read. I've been a musician for a long time. And there was one uh, like 20 years ago. you need to know ago. about the music industry. That's the one. By Donald Passman. Yes. Now an yes. elder statesman. He's not that old, but he's one of the elder statesmen in the music industry law. And, uh, a genuinely nice man and, and uh, smart as a way. And great, just great stories in that book. So, I, you know, he makes the law, he explains it very easy, like he, very, very easy, easy to read. If you're interested in music law or if you're, in, if you're into the industry, it might be interesting to you. Uh, still relevant, I am sure, although they seem to change. Laws change fast, especially yes, today with new media. So thanks so much for listening. Be sure and share it with your friends uh, anywhere you want on any of the new media places. Um, maybe not parlor. That's going to be hard to find. <laughs> thanks again. Be good to each other. And also, be good to yourself. And that's it. That's a wrap. Awesome. That was a fun conversation, Joel. Thank you.